0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. So there's a rich man, and he decided that for his mom's birthday, he was going to get her something like off the chart, better than any gift that anyone ever gave their mom, so he he heard about this parrot that was able to speak uh, 4,000 words in its vocabulary. Uh, it could speak in other languages, and it could actually speak. Uh, it could sing different opera pieces. It could actually do the choruses. So the guy's like, "That's awesome! I got to get that bird for my mom." So he spends fifty thousand dollars for this bird. He buys it. He sends it to his mom. And then he calls the next day to see if she'd received it and said, hey, mom, so what did you think of the bird, he asked. She replied, it was delicious. (laughs) How many would agree that that poor bird did not get to fulfill its purpose? That bird had a way greater purpose in life, didn't it? Than to be eaten. Um, You know, that, that seems to be what happens with us. I think God has greater purposes for us but sometimes we settle so low. And we're going to look in the Bible today at Jesus calling people into life, calling people into purpose. And depending on how we respond to that depends on whether we get in to the fullness of the life that Jesus is calling us into, the fullness of the purpose that he's calling us into. Um, Billy Sunday was a famous evangelist. He was actually a major league baseball player for about 10 years, a great ball player. And then he became an evangelist uh, at the turn of last century. And his statement, one of the statements he had was this. He says, More men fail through lack of purpose than lack of talent. Through lack of purpose than lack of talent. I I believe so many, because they don't have purpose, never found it, maybe never looked for it, never connected with God to understand purpose and destiny and the fullness of what life is designed to be. I think because of that, a lot of people fall short and fail because they don't step into uh, the greatness of what God has has called us into. And I would say one of the most critical uh, components in life is, is having clarity on where we should go. We're all alive. We're all living and eating and breathing. But where, where do we go? Where do we start to walk out this destiny? Where, where do we step into purpose? Where do we go to discover what is the fullness of life and how should we, should we live it out? And for thousands of years, civilizations from around the world have been asking just that question. They framed it in different ways, but it's been a driving factor in the heart of humanity for thousands of years, different cultures all over the world. No matter what culture you look at, they're trying to figure out who am I, why am I here, and what comes after this. It's a a question that's been internal. It's hardwired to the clock as God says that he put eternity in the hearts of men. So there's something hardwired in the heart that we realize no matter where you're from, no matter what part of the world or what era of time you were, you were born in, there's this driving factor of who am I really and why am I really here and what comes after this is just hardwired into the heart. Even Socrates and Aristotle tried to philosophically bring meaning to these things, but it's been hardwired in the heart for thousands of years. And I am convinced, and we've said this before, that... Um, That when it comes to us, we can't really know who we are until we know who He is. I'm I'm absolutely convinced of that. We can't really know who we are until we know who He is because He's our Maker, He's our Creator. And if we try to go through life figuring out who we are, completely disconnected from the very one who designed us, we are misled at best. We are just winging it and we are trying. So God, the creator, the ultimate designer, the one who says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they're not to harm you, they're to prosper you, to give you hope in the future. The one who says all the days ordained for you were written in my book before one of them came to being, that almighty God, that designer, the God of Abraham, who called Abraham out of a life that had no purpose and called him into purpose and says, Abraham, with you and your offspring, I am going to start something epic. You're going to start walking in purpose. You're going to discover truth. You're going to start walking in faith. And along this road of truth and faith, listening to my word, you're going to discover who I made you to be, and you're going to get in on promise. And we see that through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through Israel when they obeyed, and through Jesus Messiah, and then forwarded on to us as well. I think it's really amazing. But it does come down to recognizing that he's the maker. He is the designer. He is the creator. And we are the created. And the problem is when the created tries to figure out on their own what we're made for and what our destiny is and what life is supposed to be, without our creator, we're, we're totally out of order with our design. Uh, I think we have a graphic for this. Uh, Isaiah 45, verse 9 um, Isaiah says this, he says, does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. Imagine that. Imagine a potter's wheel and and you're spinning on it and God's shaping you and he's conforming you into his image and he's doing a work and he knows already in his mind, already in his heart, exactly what you're gonna be. Something great, something special, something unique, wonderfully and fearfully made. And as he's shaping... We're like, no, that's not who I am. I want to be this. And telling him what's best when he's shaping our lives, that's what Isaiah is saying right there. That's the created, telling the creator that he's wrong in his infinite knowledge and wisdom and design uh, for our lives. It would kind of be like this, an an elaborate watchmaker who who makes the greatest timepieces ever designed. And, And he puts this watch together. It's so special. It's got these little intricacies with it, that this particular watch just literally is the most, has the greatest synchronicity of any timepiece ever built. And God says, I'm making that, and that's you. But then somebody goes, well, I don't want to be used that way. I want to be used to break ice. I want to chip ice. I want to break ice. And God's like, well, you can chip ice. You can break ice. That's not what I made you for. In fact, it's not going to go too well for you if you try breaking ice. I made you to be so, have such synchronicity in your design that you are going to set the pace of tempo and, 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 and timing for all of those around you if you just simply be who I'm making you to be. If you come to understand the fullness of your purpose and yet the watch saying, no, I just want to go back and chip ice or or somebody The master designer, once again, makes this amazing device with all these beautiful, perfect glass lenses in it, and the person operating it points it down and is looking at their toe, and they're looking through this big lens, looking through their toe, wiggling their toe, going, wow, this is really cool, this is awesome, and the designer's going, oh, but wait a second, I made you for so much more than that. If you let me help you as the creator, let me point it up to the universe and I'm going to show you other galaxies that no eye has ever seen. Would you let me help you with your design? And we go, no, thank you. I just want to point it down and look at my toe a little longer. And God's like, I didn't make it to be a microscope. I made it to be a a telescope. Does that make sense? And I believe we do the same thing in our lives. Where God's got this design and we're the created, go telling the creator, that's not who I am. I think on this and the creator going, oh, you have no idea who you are because you won't know who you are until you know who I am, the Lord would say. And the more you begin to understand his word and his ways and his nature, the more you begin to follow Jesus, the more you get in the words of Jesus, you get in on the next step of revelation and insight on his calling and who he is and what he's calling us into um, by his design. And it's really, really important to do that. Um, first point this morning, I would just encourage you to write this one down. We're going to be looking at three key points today on finding your life and how you really find your life because a lot of folks are looking for uh, not their physical life, but their true destiny, purpose, and spiritual life and what's the display supposed to be. Some are searching, some are not looking at all, but the only way you will is to begin to, uh, I-, I believe, go before God and get in on discovery, um, but, but this is where it begins, because you see this in every person in the Bible who discovered life at a profound level, and so many people in life that have gone down uh, through the books of history who we sit back and salute today, um, you would see this to be true. And the first point is this, that finding my life starts by living for something far greater than myself. Finding my life starts by living for something far greater than myself, specifically living for someone far greater than yourself. But that someone being your creator who might point you to something, and this being your fulfillment, as you live for the glory of God and you carry out this thing that he's given you, um, there's, there's, there's no one we, we look at who's, you know, in this realm, at least in the Bible, who, who got in on their destiny by being self-centered, by focusing only on themselves, there's no one in the Bible, when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you look at all the heroes of the faith, you're not going to find anyone who said, oh, they were all about their stuff and their, whatever they could get and whatever they could gain and whatever they could. you're not going to find that anywhere because no one looks at them as heroes, not heroes of faith and not heroes in society. We look at the heroes who understand they're living for something far greater than themselves. And that's where the journey begins is to step out beyond just me, myself, and I. And this is where it begins. So I really believe finding life starts there. And we see that's what Jesus is calling everyone into. Everyone he calls, he calls into this realm. Okay, you got to level up from the beginning. You got to start being willing to live for something and some th- someone far greater than yourself. And some say, no, I'm not going to do that. And they stay behind. And there's others saying, well, I don't know what it looks like, but you have the words for life. Yes, so here I go. And they start this journey with Jesus, and that's where really really begins. Uh, some people have sought to find their life through, through money, uh, money and fame uh, and prestige. And this has been true since the beginning of time. Uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about this because the Bible knows in the nature of people, uh, unless they really, uh, without, without it really being said, a, a lot of people simply pursue just trying to make more and more money as a purpose, as an aim as a goal in life now money is good it's a tool it's a resource we can use it well but it in and of itself is not life purpose and yet so many people are aiming at gain being life purpose um the bible uh, has it's the second most referenced topic in the bible money and possessions for that reason god has seen many people in humanity get ripped off on life purpose and goal because of this money or this gain thing being a driving factor of their life and god is seeing it push and pull humanity all over the place and that's why it's the second most discussed topic in the bible because he sees what it does to the human heart it sees that it pushes and pulls people and tugs them off a track because They're just pulled in this thing that if I just got more gain, if I just had more stuff or possessions or money, then I would be happy, then I would be fulfilled, only to come up empty. And yet, many people are pulled that way, and so are we today. It's an age-old reality in the hearts of humanity. It's been going on for thousands of years. More than 2,300 verses in the Bible on money, wealth, and possessions for that reason. The God who's calling us sees what attracts us. And he keeps speaking this topic over and over again. In fact, a third of Jesus's parables taught about money. A third. Why? Because he's speaking to the heart. And Jesus knows that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And Jesus is trying to speak to the heart. And yet he he knows that money is a driving factor in so many people's lives that he has to speak to the matters of the heart. Again, it's a great resource, but it in and of itself does not bring life purpose. So finding money is not finding life a good tool. It's a good resource. Be a great steward. Use it wisely. But it's not finding life. Time Magazine did an article on how winning the lottery makes you miserable. Now, how many in the room would say, well, if I won the lottery, I would not be miserable. Come on. Come on. If I won the lottery, be different than all these people. I, I get it. I think the same way. However, statistically, statistically uh, the, the, this uh, article went on around how it makes you miserable. And it went on, and this is what it says. It says, if you win the $1.5 billion Powerball jackpot, you may not be as lucky as you may think. Many winners befall the so-called curse of the lottery with some squandering their fortunes and others meeting tragic ends. So many of them wind up unhappy or wind up broke. People have had terrible things happen, says Don McNavy, 56 years old, of the financial consultant to the lottery winners and the author of Life Lessons from the Lottery. People commit suicide, they go through divorce or people die. It's just upheaval that they're not ready for. It made their lives worse instead of improving them. About 70% of people who suddenly receive a windfall of cash will lose it within a few years according to the National Endowment of Financial Education. And the story went on giving real life testimonies of numerous people who did in fact win and how wrecked their life was. Again, finding money, money might be good to have to use as a resource, But finding money is not finding your life, although many people thought it would be. Finding money is not not finding your life. Um, If you have your Bibles, Matthew 16, we're jumping into today's passage right where we left off, whether you have it in your Bible or on your phone, however you read your word. But Matthew chapter 16, we're picking up where we left off last week, and it was a really cool dialogue that that Jesus had to bring us up to speed. Here's what happened last week in Matthew 16. Um, Peter... Peter made this confession. He made this confession to Jesus. It was like rock star level confession. Peter said this thing that will go down in history. Peter hit a grand slam, poof, and just like said this statement that was a game changer, a life changer that we're talking about 2,000 years later. Peter answered a question that Jesus asked, and it's the same question that Jesus has been asking for 2,000 years. He said to Peter, "Who, who do the people say I am? okay that's great but what about you peter who do you say i am because i'm most concerned about who you say i am and peter answered that question and he did it amazing he just like crushed it and and made this statement that was amazing jesus said who do you say i am peter said you are the messiah you are the son of the living god and jesus said peter that is the golden standard answer. that is the answer of answers that is such a rock-solid truth On this rock solid foundation, I'm going to build my church. Jesus said, I'm building my church on this truth that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of the living God. And that is the foundation for the church he's building. So Peter rocked it. He knocked it out of the park last week. He had this rock star level faith that was incredibly amazing that we're talking about. Now this week with Peter, not so much. This week, not so much. Last week, amazing faith, off the chart, like a a grand slam where, you know, the game is over, you know, it's like the bottom of the ninth or something or you're in extra innings and it's a grand slam. That's it, game's over, game over. Clear the bases and everyone's, rah. it was awesome. And Peter's like, that was awesome. This week, not so much. Uh, Maybe you've had a week like that. Maybe you've had a week where you were walking in great faith and you felt God doing great things and God had your attention and you're stepping into the things God's calling you But maybe the very next week, you find yourself not in the same place you were the week before. Anybody feel that way with faith? Honesty in God's house? Yeah, you're just not in a place. You're not thinking the way you were last week. You're not saying what you were saying last week. You're not doing what you did last week. God had you in a great zone, but maybe not so much this week. Elijah the prophet, one of the most powerful expressions of the miraculous in the Old Testament, He went right against all the prophets of Baal, all the evil of his time. He called everyone to get, bring every prophet you got, bring everyone you can find that follows his faith. And all of his people were scared to death, hiding in caves. And Elijah shows up and says, bring all your prophets, bring all your stuff. It's a showdown. Draw the line in the sand today. You call your God to, to do what he's going to do with this offering. And I'm going to call my God to do this with this offering. And the God who answers by fire, the one who answers by fire, is the true God. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And these other prophets of Baal are getting angry and they're starting to cut themselves. We hear of cutting even today. Cutting is a, is, a, is a pagan ritual that's been going on for thousands of years. And it was tried to trying to ask the gods to come through the sacrifice. And so these guys are cutting themselves in the story, trying to get their God to come. And Elijah's sitting there so bold in his faith, so on fire, so connected with God. And he's like, are you guys done yet? It's going on all day long. He's like, now my God's gonna answer by fire. And he prays and poof, fire drops from heaven, consumes this thing. It changed the nature of Israel in that entire generation. Things completely shifted. But a couple of days later, he's running for his life. He's hiding on the back of a mountain somewhere and he's scared to death. And he forgot just two days earlier the powerful, profound things that God just did in his life. So we're no different. It can happen to us too. You can be having a holy moment with God where He's showing up and powerful things are going on. And you might find yourself a couple of days or a week or two or a month or two later where you're not in that place. Look, you got to get back to that place of faith again. But Peter was in this amazing place of faith. But we're gonna to see today. He missteps. He 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 starts to figure it out in his own mind. He starts to see everything through the lens of his own experience. Instead of through the lens of Jesus and his words, he begins to take things in his own hands, much like we do in our own lives. This challenge we have of walking in the, in the spirit, but we find ourselves walking in the flesh and this challenge going on after this rock star level faith last week, which was epic. We see in the very next passage, Peter falls way short, and I think we might be capable of this, so I think we can relate. Let's see, it st- starts in verse 21. We're going to look at this in sections, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." What's going on right now is Jesus has been teaching wonderful things, Sermon on the Mount, turning, multiplying the loaves and the fishes and teaching amazing principles of God's kingdom. But right now there's a very definitive shift happening in the life and ministry of Jesus. And now it's time for Jesus to let his followers, let the committed ones, in on another profound, truthful level about his nature, that they weren't quite clocking yet, and they still don't really fully comprehend it now. And Jesus begins to shift his ministry and his teaching. He's still going to teach parables and do this, but he starts to, under, uh, to reveal a whole other reality to them, a whole other level of truth, a whole other level of trust to them, And he's starting to let them know that, guys, I know you love this multiplication. I know you love the healing that's going on everywhere. I know you love the fact that there's, you know, I'm fulfilling all the messianic prophecies that you were waiting for for a long time. I I know that there's freedom, that you're seeing freedom. You're seeing healing. You're seeing multiplication. You're seeing forgiveness. You're seeing grace. And you're loving all those things. That's beautiful, beautiful. But guys and gals and people that were following, the reason I came was to pay for the sins of the world. The reason I came. It wasn't just to teach and to heal and show grace and love. The reason I came was to pay for the sins of the world because there's one thing separating humanity from the living God, the creator, the designer, and that's sin, and nothing else will take it away but the perfect sacrifice. The reason I came is to take away the sins of the world. And he starts revealing this reality of what's to come, that he's going to be this actual sacrifice personally, and he's starting to explain it to him finally in the 16th chapter, And they're not really knowing what to do with this uh, reality. And so that's his main purpose. And he says, soon the Son of Man is going to be, go to Jerusalem. When we go down there, it's going to get very intense. It's going to get very heated. And when we go down there, I'm going to get arrested and I will suffer, Jesus said. And I will um, be arrested, suffer, and I will die down in Jerusalem. But on the third day, I'll rise again. Now, Peter, Peter at this point, Peter stopped hearing things. Peter stopped hearing things. Maybe maybe you've done this before where you're in the middle of a conversation, and the conversation goes in such a way that something comes up, and when something comes up, you stop hearing. Has anybody ever done that? You're in a conversation, and and it gets so intense that you stop hearing. Everything else kind of goes wah, 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 wah. You don't even know what the rest was because you're like, what? And you're already thinking about processing. I know I do that. My wife tells me I do, right, hon? And you tell me something, I'm something like, what? And I'm back there and she's ahead here and I'm still like camped out on that, that, what? You know, so we do that kind of thing in a conversation. We don't understand the next part. We can't even go there because we can't get our head around the first part. We do that. Peter did that. Peter did that. Peter heard that his, the one he loves, jesus you're the christ you're the son of the living god life has gotten so much better since we met you jesus we have life purpose we have mission we're walking with you you're healing the sick you're raising the dead you're teaching truth you are fulfilling prophecy you're doing all these amazing things it's awesome we love you you're gonna die he hears feedback at that point and hears nothing else and so peter stops hearing stops hearing what jesus says at that point And he's basically saying, what did you just say? Here's here's the interesting thing about Peter. Peter is so bold, whatever he does. When he steps in faith, it's bold. When he messes up, it's bold. And Jesus, I think, likes him. I I think he really, this this boldness of Peter, he's the first one to step out of the boat. And yes, he's the first person to sink. (laughs) But he's the first person to step out of the boat. And he's the only one of the apostles that will ever be able to tell the story. Can I tell you what it's like to walk on water with Jesus? No one will ever be able to tell that story but Peter, because he actually was bold. So he gets bold and he's, and he's a little rough on the edges and he steps sometimes a little out of his own and he's finding his place. But at this point right now, I think he feels his role is to protect Jesus. Why do I, why do I think that? He's looked at as a leader. Uh, later on, we see when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane before he's ultimately arrested, they come to get him. The first person to stand up and pull out his sword is Peter. And he's like, you want him? You got to go through me first. And he pulls out his sword. Whoosh! Remember this? Jesus is praying. He's like, Peter, put away the sword. It's not that kind of, it's not going to go down that way. But Peter's like, what? You want my Messiah? Go through me first. And he pulls out this sword. It's like, whoa, whoa, Peter, thanks for the zeal. <laughs> thanks for the help. But that's not the help I'm looking for right now. So, that, so Peter has got this kind of rare up quick which, which you know there's a time and place to protect to love and do these things but in this context Peter is saying what there's no way that's going to happen to you Jesus suffer be arrested die no way is that happen to you this passage says listen that Peter took Jesus aside the context is Greek in Greek He's come over here I need to talk to you <laughs> that's what's happened I know I've read it in middle, I've never read it this clear Get, we, we're going to talk right now. You guys wait right here. Come over here, Jesus. Right here. This is what's going on. He took him aside. <laughs> Let me just give you a little insight, Life 101. Let Jesus take us aside. Let's never take Jesus aside, okay? How many of you think that's like, it's not our pay grade, That's not our whatever? Okay, we don't, we don't take Jesus aside. You be brutally honest and transparent with, him, with Jesus, you know, and he's taken me aside before. Has any of ever taken you aside? Okay. He can take me aside. I can't take him aside. But Peter is like, what are you saying? No way. Jesus, come over here. Get come, come over here. And he takes Jesus aside. This is what it says. To set Jesus straight. And it says he rebuked Jesus. I'm not reading into the text anything more than what's in the text. He took him aside to set him straight and he rebuked him. Rebuked him. Knock that off. Don't talk that way. That is not going to happen to you. I won't let it happen. We won't let it happen. Look what's starting here. Why would you say such a thing? This is Peter, who said the rock star level faith last week. And yet this week, this is what he's saying. This will never happen. Now, here's, here's the shocker, guys. And I want you to take this to heart, because when I read this, you know, there's a lot of things in Peter's life I can relate in my own life. I see Peter doing great things, and then I see him do other things, and I'm like, yeah, I... I don't know about you guys, but I read Peter, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of do the same kind of dumb stuff sometimes, and I, I, I learn a lot from Peter. I hope you do, and there's a couple of things to glean today. If you're a Christ follower, if you're committed to Jesus, even if you're committed to the mission, even if you're committed to doing the ministry and following him, and you would consider yourself a disciple, I want you to really pray and take these to heart, because this was true of Peter. It can be true of me. It could be true of you at the same time. Here's the shocker. Let's learn from Peter. You can be physically following Jesus and spiritually be so far away from him at the same time. You guys see that in the passage? Physically, standing right there with Jesus. Jesus himself. Part of the posse, the inner circle. You could be walking with Jesus physically up close and personal and be spiritually so far away from him at the same time. Time. That's exactly what we see see here. You can be listening to Jesus' words, actually hearing his actual words, and at the same time be saying, No way, that's never going to happen. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've read some promises in the Word of God. You read some promises and you're like, You know what? Um, that's cool, but that's probably not me. Has anybody ever done that? You read a certain promise about something and you're like, yeah, I, 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 I know that's in the Bible, but yeah, I don't know if that's, that's for me. I think we do the same thing. Jesus is saying stuff, and we could be saying something completely the opposite, and that's what's going on with Peter. Peter is listening to the words and at the same time saying, no way, that's never going to happen. I think that's important because God's trying to call us into things, and we might be saying, no way, that's never going to happen. And Jesus is like, look, unless you take these steps, you will never know. Follow me. We can be in a huddle with other believers as Peter was. He's in a huddle with other believers. He's not alone. This isn't him and Jesus having a private conversation on the back of some mountain. He's in the group. He's, Jesus is down with his disciples. They're all together. He's explaining to them all, these Christ followers, the way this thing is going to be down, going down. So we can be huddled with other believers and still and still make plans that are, that are the exact opposite of what Jesus is trying to call us to. We can be in a huddle with other believers and make plans that are 100% opposite of what God wants to do in our lives. And that's really unfortunate. But that is a reality check. Peter did it. And I think we can do the same thing. So what does Jesus do when you take him aside, set him straight, and try to rebuke him? Jesus rebuked him back. Jesus rebuked him back. And the words he used, we talk about a lot and we struggle with and we are a little challenged with because they sound a little harsh to us, if the truth be told. And Jesus looks Peter straight in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. How many would not like to hear that one? Okay. Jesus loves Peter. Jesus loves Peter. Later on. He's telling Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, I love you. Do you love me more than these? Peter, I love you, I love you. I love you, Peter. I'm restoring. Do you love me more than these? Jesus loves Peter. Why is Jesus making a statement like, get behind me, Satan, to somebody like Peter? It's a profound, glaring shocker for all of us. Sounds harsh, but I don't think it is that harsh when we understand what's really going on. Peter just made... The Bible says it's from the outflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Stuff flows out of us, sometimes faster than we can imagine. Sometimes we don't ponder, we don't pray, just it can flow right out. And and Peter just made a statement that was actually a demonic statement. His statement was to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus is like, I came with a mission, it's to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer, die, and he's like, no, you are not, no way, we're not having it. Come over here, we need to talk. And it never happened to you, and and he gets rebuked. This statement is not just a little misguided. That statement, when you look at the reality of the source, that's something the devil wanted more than anything. Don't pay for the sins of the world. Don't pay for the sins of the world. And Peter may or may not know it, but he steps right into it and starts speaking. No, you are not going to the cross. We're not going to let you. I won't let you. And I'm going to talk the guys into it, too. We're not going to let you go to the cross. It's not going to happen. We're not going to let you go to Jerusalem if that's what's going to happen to you, Jesus. And he pulls Jesus aside. So so a demonic statement was trying to stop Jesus. And Peter's mind, listen, his mind was in the realm of the demonic. Here's why. Without even realizing it, while he thought he was doing ministry, Peter thinks he's with Jesus in the crew and he's in the ministry circle. And while he's in the realm of doing ministry, his mind was in the realm of the demonic. That's a shocker to me. And that means it can happen. That's why the Bible says take thoughts captive and cast down any imagination, anything that rises itself up against the knowledge of God, we cast it down. Why? Because we're all capable, like Peter, of being in the church, being on the team, following Jesus, and have weird stuff popping up. And we got to be careful what we let out of our mouth. Otherwise, we might get a rebuke too, because we didn't really test it. We didn't test the spirits. We didn't check it. We didn't understand, is this the word of God? Is this the spirit of God? Is this any of these? Where's that even coming from? And we might find ourselves doing the same thing with Peter, spewing something out that we're passionate about in the moment that is completely disconnected from the heart of God and from the word of God and from the spirit of God. And then this particular case could even be doing ministry and go, that. That set of words, that was actually from the enemy. It was demonic. And so Jesus says this to him. Uh, Jesus says, Listen, if your mind is only on human concerns and not on God's concerns, this is important because we're talking about how to find life this morning. Um, if our mind is only on human concerns and not on God's concerns, Jesus said, You're a stumbling block to me. Now that's pretty, pretty harsh because, you know, in life, you know, we want to be f- focused on God and we've got. You know, we're doing life and we have things around us. We need to get done. And I think what Jesus is saying, you can still do everything in your life around you and you can do it in the spirit. You can still have your mind fixed on things above while you do everything you can. Um, Some people have said that um, some are so uh, worldly minded that they're no heavenly good. Uh, they're only focused on the carnal, the temporal, the things down here. And, and God's like, yeah, that's, that's actually no benefit to me and my kingdom and my ways. And you're not stepping into the life I'm calling you into. And this is the struggle with Peter right here. He's jumping uh, onto a side that he doesn't even know he's jumping onto. And Jesus said, listen, if your mind is only on human concerns and not God's concerns, you're a stumbling block to me. Now, Jesus at this point has to explain, has to explain. He finds teaching moments all the time. Jesus has to explain what a disciple is. He's with his disciples. He's hoping they're learning and discovering by now what a disciple is. But right now there's a little glitch in in what's going on. And Peter, who is kind of a leader, you know, we see him start to be raised up as a leader. He takes this diversion and Jesus is like, wow. Okay, listen, if you're going to approach the kingdom that way, you're going to miss the whole thing and you're never going to step into life. Let me tell you what a disciple really is and these are some of the harsher statements of Jesus. They're not harsh in the sense that they hurt, but they, they're, they're harsh that they're brutally honest and brutally true. And, and I, I want to say this this morning. Um, I believe, sincerely, um, that the church at large, not every church all the time, but the church in Western civilization, the church in America, in modern times, has done a real disservice to the body of Christ in this particular area. I feel that the church has painted Jesus to be that if I can just get you to say this special prayer, your whole life is going to be wonderful. <laughs> if I could get you to say this one prayer, not only you're forgiven, not only are you get heaven, you can just go back to doing what you're doing. Life is going to be wonderful. Jesus is going to start fixing your problems. And this is kind of what we've offered as a soft version of Jesus. In modern times, and that really is disconnected from the reality of scripture on who Jesus says he is. It, it, if you look at Jesus very long and you start walking with him and studying his words and start following along, he does begin with kind of this approach, come and see. They ask you, where are you saying, the son of man, where are you saying? Well, come and, come and see, come and see. Follow me, I'm going to show you how to make fish of a man. Come and see, come and see the crowds come to the teaching on the hill they get the fishes and the loaves and the multiplication and they hear this great teacher great come and see awesome come and see but the come and see does not stay come and see amen guys the come and see does not stay come and see the come and see turns to come and follow it's not come and see everyone would be happy as you were go back home hope you liked it got some stories to tell come and see turns into come and follow and the following it has depth it's got roots it's got significance it's got purpose it's part of our whole life that he's calling us into this transformation and for us to be world changers is to yoke with him and partner with him on the next thing he's going to do and the church has generally said say this prayer life's going to get great for you and we've never learned how to follow or be a disciple or be a christ follower and i'm telling you that's been a disservice so i personally when i was just praying about this i want to apologize to you I want to apologize on behalf of any pastor, teacher, ministry that you've ever been in that has offered you a soft gospel missing from the discipleship of Jesus Christ. Missing from following him, missing from learning from him, missing what the next section of the scripture is about to say this morning. And there's a lot of it sprinkled out there and all over the place, and it's kind of been a light little salty, you know, tasty version, and it misses the core substance of who Jesus Christ is and what he's calling us into. And I'm afraid we've done more of a disservice than a service to his name at large. So uh, would you forgive me on behalf of all my colleagues... And pastors and teachers and anyone who's offered you a soft gospel. Thank you because there has not everybody all the time. There's wonderful, there's people going at it and they're taking the word out and it's full of value and preaching a full gospel and I think it's wonderful. But there's also a lot of others that have just done a little, little salt, little salt, come and come, happy, happy, sing a song. Say this prayer. You're good. It's all good. That's it. As you were, as you were, it's all good now. Let's get as many people to say a prayer as we can. It's all good. We're doing it. It's not doing it. Not the way Jesus said. This is what he says in verse 24, and this is where he's explaining to them what a disciple really is. I believe you and I are here today because we have a love for Jesus and we want to learn how to follow him. We're either committed to following or we're open to learning, and we can't leave this kind of stuff out. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Oh, so that's what a disciple is. It's not just a little prayer. We're all good. No, it's, it's this. This is what a disciple is. Discipleship has a pathway. And Jesus explains what this pathway to purpose is. This pathway to the life that he's calling us into. How many in this room believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Okay. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. He also tells Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the, on the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, even if you die, you're going to live. You'll never really die. You'll never suffer a second death. You're going to live forever. Why? Because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And so no one knows about life better than Jesus. Would you guys agree with that? This is important because TV will tell you that they know more about life than Jesus. And all kinds of other philosophers will say they know more about life than Jesus. But you can look at all the historic philosophers and religious leaders who died, they're still in a tomb somewhere with their bones at some level. But Jesus is not. He's alive because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. No one knows more about life than Jesus does. So how are you and I supposed to find life and discover the full meaning and the purpose of life and step into fully finding our life without, without going to Jesus, the source, and finding out where life is to be found? And yet so many do. No one knows how to find life more than Jesus does. Here's what he says is our second point this morning, if you want to write this down. This is just an unequivocal fact, according to Jesus, and we have to embrace it even if we struggle with it. Number two is, I have to lose my life in order to find it. Says Jesus, not Pastor B. Says Jesus, I have to lose my life in order to find it. Great teacher comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. I see you're smart. You're a teacher. You're a miracle worker. You're the long-awaited Messiah. You, all those things are all you, Jesus. What do I have to do to find life? What do I have to do to find life? He's like, well, you got to be born again. What? Born again? I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be the other kind. <laughs> it's like there's only one kind, according to Jesus. I had an old roommate when I came to faith, and he was like, Oh, that's cool. You're checking out Christianity. That, that's cool. You know, I've met some Christians. Kind of, but, but those born-againers, oh, the born-againers. Because I hope you're not becoming a born-againer because those ones are. Uh, listen, Jesus offers one kind of faith. And when you become born again, the intent is that you die to yourself and you take on new life in him. We're born of water and born of the spirit. Born of the water when we come into this world. And we're born of the spirit when the spirit of God takes residency in our life because we surrender our life to the lordship of jesus and so this is the kind of faith that he's calling people into and it it starts with losing our life in order to find it and that's why so few find it why does the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate to eternal life and so few find it scripture says why because if you're telling me about losing my life you just lost me right there i want to go do my stuff jesus Give me insight, give me inspiration, give me those things. But no, not lose my life. No, 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 I won't do that. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus also. You're so smart, you're gifted, you're clearly the anointed one. What do I have to do? And Jesus says, sir, I want you to lose your life. Huh, I'm not losing my life. Forget it. And he goes back home. Got to lose your life to find your life according to Jesus. What does it take to lose your life? You've got to let go of yours to take hold of his. You've got to let go of yours to take hold of his because we, we can't really hold them both at the same time. I'm going to do everything in my life with my life that I want, and I'm also going to do what you want, God. You, we just can't do it. At some point, you have to say, you are the creator, I'm the created. You are the master maker, and I'm the made one. You are the designer, and I am the designed. And if that's really true, well, then I want what's best, God. You tell me what's best, and I want to step into life as you see it. Almost like the telescope, instead of seeing galaxies looking down at a little toe as a microscope, almost like a watch that could be determine synchronicity for so many around you, but instead being used to, to chip ice. We do the same thing with our life. I'm not letting go of mine. And Jesus is like, well, you got to let go of that to do this. If you lose yours, you're going to find it. I found this to be true. I remember um, I was a new believer. I was in the faith maybe six months um, reading my Bible, going to Bible believing church and ready to get baptized. And the baptism was coming up on a Saturday. And it was like a Friday night. I was at my house and I'm on my knees. I'm praying. And I'm like, Lord, this is really cool that I'm finally doing this as an adult. I got sprinkled as a child when I didn't know what I was doing. But in the Bible, people who believed and made a confession followed through as a first act of obedience, and so I'm ready to get baptized the next day, and I'm like, Lord, that's awesome that I'm finally uh, getting ready to do this, you know, it's probably long overdue as an adult, and, and I, I remember saying, Lord, because, you know, you know, uh, um, you know uh, you're already my Lord, I'm already, like, surrendered to you, and I heard the voice of the Lord as clear as can, as can be, the Lord saying, have you? Like, what? I was like, I, I was shocked. Lord, you, you're my Lord, you're the Lord of my life, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just getting baptized because this is already a reality. You're already the Lord of my life. I already surrendered to you and made, made you Lord. And the Lord said, have you? And I'm going, huh. And I couldn't, I couldn't point to a day or a time where that ever happened. And if you're here today as a, as a Christian, believing in Jesus, but cannot point to a day and a time that it happened, then it probably never happened. You know why? Because when you lose your life, you remember when you did it. Listen, when you lose your life, you remember when you did it. When you died, or at least made the declaration to die, when you had your own funeral, so to speak, you remember when you did it. You don't forget when you died. You don't forget when you surrendered your life. You don't forget when you lose your life. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I'll ask some people, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. And that just means they were raised in matters of faith. They were raised in a Christian household with Christian morals and Christian principles and maybe some scripture. That is wonderful, absolutely outstanding for parents to raise kids that way. But you're only a Christian when you turn and commit to follow and you make him the Lord of your life and you're willing to die so he can live. That's what a disciple really is. And some people, I was just born this way. Actually, you weren't. (laughs) We we're all born in sin. I was born in sin. We we're all born in sin. But at some point, when you realize the magnitude of the one who's asking you, you go, you know what? You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the resurrection. And I'm not. You are the Lord, and I'm not. And you are the Creator, and I'm not. And if you're saying, I got to die to live, you have the words for life. So I guess I got to die to live. And so that's really important, guys. You must deny yourself, deny your right to yourself. And listen, you'll only do this, you'll only do this if you realize who Jesus really is. If you realize the magnitude of the one calling you into this life, you'll do it. But if you don't understand the magnitude, that's why some people, Jesus, you know, he's a great teacher and he's a miracle worker and stuff like that. If a teacher and a miracle worker is calling you into this life, I can see be reluctant. Like, why? Why? But if he's God's son, if he's the Jewish Messiah and God's son in flesh, walking on earth, calling you personally into life, that's a whole different story. And that's why we'll only do this if we realize who Jesus really is. And when we realize who he is, we wanna step into the things that he's calling us to, where God becomes first and we become second, where you say, God, I'll take your plans over my plans because you're the potter and I'm the clay. You made the telescope you know how you made me. You know this timepiece you made. I, I'm not going to crack ice for the rest of my life. You know how you made me, God. I want to step into, I want to find my life the way you see it, God, because you had all these things ordained for me before one of them came to being. And Jesus is saying, here's how you find your life. You lose it. Got to lose your life to, to find your life. Uh, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is what else he says. He says three things, three key things. You got to lose your life. The next thing he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, you got to, take up your cross. Ooh, take up your cross. This would have been a very clear statement to the people at the time around Jesus because it is estimated that in Jesus' lifetime, uh, so far he's on earth about 31, 32 years at this point. He died at 33. Uh, And at this point, uh, Roman crucifixions happened everywhere all the time. It'd be the kind of thing where a mom's walking their kid down to the corner store to get some falafels and, and you'd be walking by and you'd see a crucifixion. You'd be covering... Little Moses' eyes, don't be looking at that, Moshe. Come over here. You know, I don't want you to see that. That's like these crucifixions. You'd be walking your daughter, you know, Elizabeth, Sarah. You'd be like, don't don't look at that stuff. Because crucifixions were happening everywhere. The Roman Empire, capital punishment. They ruled with an iron fist. So it was everywhere. So when Jesus is saying this to these guys, they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen this our whole life. We crosses are everywhere, Jesus. And he's like, whoever wants to... uh, um, my disciple, you got to take up your cross, which is a symbol of sacrifice and be willing to endure hardship. And that's what we've left out of the gospel picture. That if you say this magic prayer as you were, everything's going to be fine. And we've left this stuff out about dying so we can live. We've left this thing out about picking up our cross and following. We've, we've left out this whole enormous component of who Jesus is and the, and the life he's calling us into. And it's not just a life of suffering. There's blessing, and there's power, and there's love, and there's grace, and there's revelation on the other side of those who really walk with him. But on the other side, it's only speculation and observation, and it's void of power, because we haven't stepped into the full promise of what he's, what he's calling us to. The cross is a symbol of sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life for me. I'm going to lay down my life for him. That's stepping into being a disciple. Whoever wants to be my disciple, he says, must... Follow me. Listen, this this might sound as a harsh truth, but I got to say it because, again, I'm just I am going straight at this reality that the church at large in Western civilization in America has preached a very soft gospel for a lot, way too long. And it's time to redeem the power of the cross. It's time to redeem the power of who Jesus is. It, it's time to redeem the fullness of his calling and who he's calling us to be and not like play patty cake and you know, say, ring around the rosy, hallelujah, everybody go home. Let's, let's step into the magnitude of the one who called us. Um, here's the deal. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me. Listen, Jesus is not, might surprise us in this context. He's not looking for believers. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for believers. Believers is where you start to come and see, come and see, come and see. There's thousands that came and saw what Jesus did. And we go, oh, yeah, we believe you can multiply fishes and loaves. Look at that. Wow. Look at, oh, look, he healed that guy. We believe you can do it. We came and we saw and we believe. And then he says, follow me. And they're like, uh, I got some stuff to do. I'm out. And all the crowds are walking away. It's like, wait, 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 follow me. Mm, yeah, no, this die of myself. Take them. Nah, nah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And they're walking away. Listen, Jesus isn't calling just people to believe. He's calling, if you really believe that he's the Lord, then we follow Or maybe we don't really believe that. Maybe we're struggling with that. And that's fine. He's going to work that out in your heart over time and show his full nature and the revelation of who he is. But this is really important, guys. So he's not just looking for believers. He's looking for followers. uh, Because God's plans are bigger than you are. And unless we start stepping into them, we won't really, really know. Only when a person denies himself and takes up his cross are they really ready to follow Jesus. See, if I don't deny myself... I can't be a Christ follower. I can't because I'm holding on to my life and my future and my plans and my every. I can't really follow Jesus if I haven't denied myself. And I can't really follow Jesus unless I learn how to take up my cross like, all right, you laid yours down for me, so my life isn't going to be about me, myself, and I anymore. It's going to be thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to serve others. The greatest of all is the servant of all. And, and when you start living for something greater than yourself, you start stepping into life purposes, and that's what Jesus is showing him. It's like, guys, that's not the way the kingdom goes down. It goes down this way, come this way. You know, over 100 years ago, there was a group of missionaries who became known as the, the one-way missionaries. Everybody say one-way one-way missionaries. You know what these guys did? Instead of packing their belongings in a suitcase, they put their belongings in a coffin. Ooh. They loaded all their stuff in a coffin on a boat, and they got on a boat, and they waved by to people, and they went on, a, on this mission. They knew that, hey, as we follow Jesus, now that's hardcore. I know they're missionaries, and they're stepping out and going around the world, but they knew, hey, the world behind me and the cross before me. I don't know if I'm coming back, but I'm living for him. And if I don't come back, I don't come back. If I do, well, hallelujah. But if I don't, so it just is kind of like, whoa, what a relentless commitment to Jesus. And you see Christianity spreading at a crazy rate because people knew the power of Jesus, the power of his word, and the magnitude of the call to follow. They understood that. So they stepped out this kind of way, stepped out this kind of way. In fact, I would suggest to you the whole early church, they weren't just tell everyone, just believe, just believe. They would tell everybody, follow. And the followers got together. The disciples were meeting in the temple courts and meeting in homes. And there was fellowship and encouragement and prayer and breaking of bread and teaching the word. And there was this revival brewing in the hearts of all of them because they were like all in kind of people. And I think Jesus is calling us to be all in. Like Paul, who said, I've been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I get it. I died at some point. And that's why Paul is functioning in this role, in this, in this realm of ministry, in this realm of life, and this realm of purpose, and there, this realm of giving life, and this realm of helping others find life, is because he died one day. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. And some of us maybe never died we're open, we're learning, we're intrigued, we appreciate, we like, we pray. And it's wonderful. But I'm just telling you this, that I think it's probably time for me to die. So I, not physically, but in our, in our hearts say, I am not the pilot. I don't steer the plane, God. I'm not the ruler of the universe. You are the Lord. I am under you. You're the, you're the creator. I'm the created. And forgive me for thinking that I'm, I'm in charge because I'm not, I got to, lose my life to find it and that's what jesus says right here the this last section he says in verse 26 and we're going to wrap up on this when he says what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul for the son of man is going to come in the father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his glory this last section we're going to see him follow up on next week it's connected to the next passage but the part about trying to gain the whole world and lose your soul that's something that so many people in our world we live in a capitalism a society of capitalism and capitalism can work out really good when the love of money is not ruling people jesus never said money's evil but the love of it is and When the love of money is ruling capitalism, and I'm not saying it is for everyone, but it is in a lot of sections. When it is, we're in this realm where the love of it, the pursuit of it, is the pursuit in people's mind equated to happiness and life purpose. And Jesus says, listen, finding money is not finding happiness. It's not finding life purpose. And what gains somebody to gain the entire world but to to lose their soul? As the rapper 50 Cent recently came out with his album, Get Rich or Die Triumph. Jesus would be like, time out, 50 cent. Time out, 50 cent. What what gain is somebody to gain the whole world and lose your soul over it? Because life is really short and eternity is really long. And Jesus wants you to have life in both realms. Full life in this realm and full life in the next one. I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Here, fullness of life in the Holy Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit and fullness of life in the next. And that's what Jesus is offering. When he's offering life, he's not just offering life. He's not offering the full picture of life. Um, but here's the last point. If you want to write it, jot it down. And then our worship team could come up. We're going to close out. I, third point is this. I find my life by following Jesus with an undivided heart, undivided mind, and undivided direction. Undivided heart, undivided mind, undivided direction. Peter just showed us in this passage. I'm following you, but uh-uh, it ain't happening that way. He's starting to get divided and we can as well. We can find ourselves getting divided along the way and that's okay. I think it's our nature. I think what we got to do is come back to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me because I've been divided. I've been divided in my heart. I've been divided in my mind. I've been divided in my nature. I I, want to be all in and follow you. So help me get rid of the divisiveness in my own mind, my own heart, my own ways and my own will. Help me to lose my life so I could find it again. One day he says, you're going to be fully rewarded for everything you've done. But listen, we have to, before we'll ever get to wear a crown, we've got to carry a cross before we get to wear a crown. Does that make sense? That's Jesus' promise to us. But he's going to reward you for everything you've done, everything you do for him and for his glory. And that's what he's telling them right here. Yes, there's some, suf- there's some serving in the kingdom. There is some pouring your life down. There is letting him be the king and us taking our, our direction from him. But can I tell you, there's going to be a whole bunch of rewards. And eternity is a is a really long time. Let's close in prayer right now and ask God to seal some of these things in our heart because I believe I believe he wants to do a deeper work in us today. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and the power of it. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.